Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got a boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, first of all, I hope you had a chance to enjoy your Memorial Day trip. I know you were out on the lake with some friends. Uh, how did everything go? I went really good. Um, I'm sunburnt, obviously, because I can't go anywhere without getting sunburnt. But it was actually kind of a cooler Memorial Day weekend than normal. Um, we did get in the lake anyways, but it was cold. But we were like, we drove all this way, not going to not get in the lake and we went to grand lake if anyone knows where that is in oklahoma it's in like the far northeastern corner like past tulsa um it's the it's the rich lake in oklahoma it's where the big lake houses are a lot of people have yachts on that lake and stuff so um that doesn't really matter because we don't have a yacht but we still had a good time in the lake house that was rented so good that was fun i'm i'm glad you went and the pictures you sent looked amazing i was extremely jealous uh, out here in the Northwest, it was a very warm Memorial Day, uh, especially Sunday into Monday. Temperatures were topping the upper 80s to lower 90s, which is unseasonably warm, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. Before we jump forward and talk about what's currently happening, we do need to look back at May 31st, not only because it is the birth of my new niece, so congratulations to my sister and brother-in-law on the birth of my niece, Oakley Harbor, but Bonnie, uh, May 31st is synonymous with storm chasing and Oklahoma tornadoes because that is the El Reno tornado that uh, so much has been made about, but it's really been the last real big tornado that had so much scrutiny so much intensity and for all intents and purposes it was a record setter yes it was and you're right it's a huge point of debate and and arguments among meteorologists and non-meteorologists because you know it's the same thing we always go back to that the fact that it didn't really hit any significant structure is what gave it the lower rating and some people think, but the wind speeds were there. And so, you know, it's that same old thing. And, you know, we were just talking about before, uh, your one of your favorite memes ever with the cat and the girl yep. screaming, you know, that's, uh, you know, we can thank May 31st for that. Right. And so if you've not seen the meme, we'll, it's on our, on our Twitter page at weather podcast. You just have to scroll through all of the stuff that we tweet, which I recommend doing anyways. Um, Right. It's the we two, tweet good stuff. Yeah, the two ladies yelling says El Reno was an EF five, and the cat responds it was an EF four. So in theory, yes, EF two. Uh, oh, was an EF two? Mm-hmm. I thought it was a four. Mm-mm. Oh man. See, yeah, I got a pretty significantly low rating because it didn't hit anything. Yeah. Now, see, I'm gonna have to pull this back up. Two things. All right. Okay, well, according to Wikipedia, it says it was an EF3. Oh, maybe EF3. There you go. Split the difference. <laughs> yeah, but still. Um, still a lot lower than you would think. Yeah, and again, this thing not only was... 
you know, a widely chased tornado is one of the most deadly tornadoes in terms of storm chaser deaths, uh, including, you know, we, you know, um, Tim Samaras, Paul Samaras, Carl Young. If you guys watch the Discovery Channel series Storm Chasers, they were part of the team that was featured on it, along with, you know, Reed Timmer and Sean Casey and the other people that were on that show. But those three were on this tornado. Uh, this was the same tornado that hit the Weather Channel and sent their SUV rolling across a field. Um, yes. I have heard Mike Bettis talk about that live. Yep. Yeah. He was in there, and man, it is a scary, scary, scary story. It's a very scary story. I remember watching that live that day happening, and you know they were out on the plains. It was a big day. They were expecting multiple tornadoes, and... You know, they're on the phone with him and they're saying, oh, well, we're seeing this tornado. Here's where we are. And they had gone back to the studio and you could kind of tell something had happened, but you weren't sure because they kept saying, you know, okay, well, based on our GPS tracker, this is where our team is and this is where the storm is. And we're trying to get a hold of Mike and there's no answer. And. You know, they're doing coverage and doing a great job. They're cutting back and forth with K4 in Oklahoma City, who I believe is one of their affiliates or was at the time. And all of a sudden, Mike comes on the phone. He's like, hey, we're okay. We were, you know, literally the tornado picked us up and tossed us. And I'm like, you know, and at that point I stopped. I was like, what did he just say? And he just kind of, you know, briefly describes what's going on. But you could tell the people back in Atlanta were shaken because of, you know, what the conversation they had with Mike before he came on air. Because they said, hey, you know, we had tried to get a hold of you and now we finally have and here's what's happening. And, you know, let's get to Mike and Mike can describe better for what it was. The video that, you know, you see that day from the camera that is in the Weather Channel video. So the camera gets tossed and ends up in a field, but it's still pointed in the direction of the vehicle it came out of. And you can see their SUV rolling multiple times. Oh, it is just some of the scariest video. I mean, and then what that SUV looked like when it was all over and, you know, the storm had moved past and everything, just like someone took a can and just crunched it in their hand. And so for everybody to get out pretty much okay, is just a miracle. Like, oh, it is it's an intense video. If you haven't seen it, I mean, you got to look it up. Yeah, it it is one of those things where you you don't believe you're seeing this. And even, you know, the um the National Weather Service office in Norman put out this fantastic recap video. Great animation using a lot of videos from storm spotters and storm chasers, uh local TV, weather channel And it's a good, I want to say, 10-minute recap about the life cycle of this tornado. This thing was massive. Uh, It's still, like I said, it was a record setter. Um, In terms of damage path, in terms of width, um, you know, they're still trying to figure out how many actual satellite tornadoes were around the main circulation. It's... It's one of those ones that, again, you know, you and I are huge weather nerds and we love storms like this. And again, we have said this on our show many times. Give me an El Reno like this in the middle of an open field where it's churning up nothing but hay or grass 
or open farmland, and I'm extremely happy all day. You give me this. And, I mean, store. that's pretty much what it did. I mean, minus, I mean, it caught people on the road, you know, not yes, just it did. storm chasers and everything, but there were a few, you know, civilians, I guess is what you'd call them, that um, didn't make it either. And it was, and it was because it was so wide, but it wasn't solid all the way across, if that makes sense. Like it, the wind was on the ground, but it was, you couldn't tell exactly where it was. And I mean, there was channel four chasers who got too close and didn't realize, and they had to, you know, back it up, you know, go on 50 or 60 to get out of it because they didn't realize how close they were. Um, it was, it was a crazy day and there's still coverage of it on YouTube. If you uh, want to watch how that all went down, but that was, that was an intense day because there was flooding and tornadoes across the whole Oklahoma city Metro there. They were everywhere. I was in South Oklahoma city that yep. day. Um, at a friend's house and it got hit by an EF1. Um, so, I mean, it was, that was a day, man. That was a day. And I, I mean, I really encourage people to go watch the coverage because it just, it, it takes you back and it just feels so, um, I guess chaotic because they're having to watch several parts of this storm because it's just, it's basically across the whole Oklahoma city Metro. Yep. Um, and it's just, it was, it was crazy. It was an event like nothing I've ever seen. So we have talked about, you know, the debate about how strong it was. So, you know, go watch the video, go watch the coverage on YouTube. The Wikipedia page is which I'm reading off of. And again, you know, I'm, I'm doing this with the caveat that these are, you know, little excerpts pulled from official papers. So I'm just going to go off of that. But we talk about the intensity and really how strong it was. So, it initially received an official EF3 rating based on damage. It was subs- it was uh, subsequently upgraded to a radar estimated EF5, the highest on scale, based on data from the mobile radar. Uh, OU's RA X-Pole mobile Doppler, positioned at a nearby overpass, measured winds primarily analyzed in, it- in excess of 296 miles an hour. These winds are considered the second highest ever measured worldwide, just shy of the 301 plus or minus 20 miles an hour, recorded during the 1999 Bridge Creek Moore Tornado, which we've also I talked about. I thought it was about. 318. Uh, it says 301 plus or minus 20, so I don't know what the official, but it, it, it that would not surprise me if it was. 318 would be right w- within that that range. Yeah, true. So I think it, wow. yeah, I think it just, I don't want to say it officially over-limited the radar, but that's what it might have been. Like, you know, it went above oh. the range. So that's why they say the plus oh, gotcha. or minus because they're not 100% sure. But Because the radar couldn't physically measure it past correct. a certain number. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. It said when they went back and looked at revised analysis, they found winds of 302 miles an hour well above the ground, well above ground level, and greater than 291 miles an hour below 10 meters or 33 feet. So... Again, when you measure wind speed at the airport, it's based on a 10-meter platform, so 30 feet up in the air, 33 feet in the air. We measure temperature six feet above the ground because at the time that was the average height of a man. Don't even get me started about that. <laughs> that that's a different show for a different day. So <laughs> it's saying the strongest winds, though, occurred in small subvortices or other tornadoes around the main tornado. The two most intense vortices occurred north and east of the intersection of 10th Street and Radio Road, about three miles southeast of El Reno. The main funnel is believed to have had 
Radar estimated EF4 winds with wind speeds around 185 miles an hour. Radar estimated EF5 winds were only found aloft and in the smaller vortices that revolved around this funnel at 110 miles an hour. So, man, and how wide did it get? Wasn't it over two miles wide at one point? Uh, yeah, hold on here. Let me look. Uh, it grew to unprecedented width of 2.6 miles, becoming the wildest, widest known tornado ever recorded in the United States. At 6.28 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the storm began moving in a more densely populated area of Canadian County while maintaining its intensity. This prompted the National Weather Service in Norman to issue a tornado emergency for Yukon, Richland, Wiley Post, Bethany, the village, and eastern El Reno as the tornado was projected to track toward western portions of the Oklahoma City metropolitan area. Within minutes, the uh, tornado turned northeast and soon passed directly over I-40 at around 642. Shortly thereafter, the tornado lifted off the ground uh, as it neared Banner Road. The tornado was on the ground for 40 minutes along a 16.2-mile path. But we talked about how you know, we'd rather have this storm in the middle of an open field. Rick Smith, who, if you follow on Twitter, is a fantastic Twitter. Weather nerds, this guy is is legit. We're big fans of Rick Smith. But he's quoted yeah. here in saying he's the, he, he is the warning coordinating meteorologist uh, at the Norman office. He said that this tornado was among a super rare category within the EF5 rating. Smith also stated it was fortunate that the tornado did not track into more densely populated areas particularly those within the Oklahoma City metro area. This would have been dot, dot, dot. I don't even want to imagine what it would have been. William Hook, a senior policy fellow at the American Meteorological Society, said that Oklahoma City dodged a bullet. You lay that path over Oklahoma City and you have devastation of biblical proportions. And it's true because it it really did pick up off the ground and lift right outside of where major population would start because Yukon, as soon as you get into Yukon, it is very densely populated, especially from the West. I mean, it's, it it picked up just in time. And at the time I was living in Yukon, but I wasn't there that day, but my mom and my sister were. So that was just, that was a crazy day. And, you know, for it to be almost three miles wide is, is wow. Just bananas. That is crazy. And, and like I said, you, it wasn't solid though for three miles, like, three miles across you know what i mean right. so you couldn't see exactly how wide it was and that's how people were getting caught in it so right it was rain wrapped ah. it was mm-hmm. extremely low to the ground it was very wide again you had multiple satellite tornadoes around the main center of circulation just one of those again one of those textbook studies that we're going to look back on for years and years and try to determine why what when how why did everything work and why did it create this? You know, it's funny. We talked about the intensity it says on August 30th of 2012 national weather service office in Norman, once again, revised the intensity of the El Reno tornado, a public affairs worker at the national weather or national oceanic and atmospheric administration stated that despite radar measured wind speeds, the survey team did not find damage that would support a rating higher than EF3. While the wind measurements from the mobile radars are considered reliable, NWS policy for determining EF ratings is based on surveys of ground damage. Lack of EF5 damage was likely a result of the rural nature of the area as the subvortices that contain the EF5 winds did not impact any structures. 
Exactly. And that's why that system is not 100%. And that's, but I mean, I, I get where you have to use something to measure it. You know what right. I mean? Like you have to have some sort of base thing because this type of event is not going to be the norm. This is one of those weird anomalies. But, you know, like Rick Smith, Rick Smith said, if it was over any sort of city, then it would have been, I mean, it probably would have been the first EF6. Let's be real because it really 100%. probably would have leveled everything it touched. So. Like I said, that's where there's a little tiny flaw in the rating system, but you just, you got to start somewhere with it. So. Exactly. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of things that have come out of this. We've seen calls from, you know, certain government officials and weather officials to limit the amount of storm chasers or create a central, you know, credentialing system to be able to chase storms. It's ludicrous. It's never going to happen. And frankly, I think it's dumb. If you're going to go out and chase, you should know the risk. You should know the liabilities. You should know what you're doing. Yes, I get it. You're not going to be able to control everybody. But you know what? If you're out chasing storms, you know, and I, and I, please, please forgive me when I say this. There's probably something not right with us. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's an adrenaline thing. It's a, you know, and, and I don't go out very often. I right. don't, you know, kind of sounds like I do, but I really, I very, very rarely go out for this reason though, because, you know, quote, chaser traffic is huge now. But I mean, I understand the thought of wanting to try to do something to limit the amount of people that are out, but there's no way to do that because the only way to enforce that would then be to put police or something else out there, like pulling people over, checking for your storm chaser license or something. And that would just be more people on the road. So it's just the logistics aren't there to enforce something like that, but that's where people need to, you know, if you're not doing it for research purposes or to forewarn people like the news people do and that kind of thing, then maybe pick and choose your days and not everybody go out for the safety of chasers and everybody else. You know what I mean? Right. So that's, it's it's a judgment call on all of us. 100%. So that was, you know, gosh, 2012, right? Or 2013, eight years, eight years ago. It seems like yesterday. It really does. I cannot believe it's been eight years. That's insane. It is insane. You know, and again, it's only a matter of time before we have another storm of this caliber hit somewhere across the country. And, you know, this is why we stress on the show. You need to be prepared. You need to have a plan in place to know what happens in the event you are in a weather emergency. Because it will save your life. It will save your life. And that event was even more of a big deal because of what had happened, you know, two weeks prior on May 20th. So that whole year was, I mean, there was multiple events besides just those two, but those two in the same year, two weeks apart, just wow, 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 wow. And like you said, it's a matter of time before it happens again. I mean, you know, 99 happened and then 2013 happened. So, I mean, it's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's interesting. You continue to read through this, um, and they're talking about how the storm formed and how everything happened. And again, if you base on the video that you watch and everything that you see, you don't necessarily see the actual, like, cone of the tornado. You do it at the very first part. But this 
article says that a large tornadic wall cloud formed and touched down. And Bonnie, that makes a lot of sense. Wall clouds don't touch down. Right. But because this thing was so big, it appeared like it was. And when it's it too... Was, yeah, go ahead. It, it was not a classic looking, you know, storm, wall right. cloud, funnel, touch the ground. It wasn't like that. It was like, like you said, the whole thing felt like it came all the way down to the ground and then put down little tornadoes to dance around it. It was not, it wasn't very classic or very textbook. And the whole storm itself, if you look at it on radar, really didn't look textbook either. It was weird. 100%. Um, you know, we talked about a bunch of the satellite tornadoes. There was a strong anti-cyclonic multiple vortex satellite tornado. So not only did we have the main tornado and we had small little satellite tornadoes, we had a bigger satellite tornado that had its own multiple vortex as well. The dynamics in that storm that day are just, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around it. For all of that to be happening all at the same time, just wow, 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 wow. Right. It says, such companion tornadoes tend to be observed and especially with, uh, with especially large and intense tornadoes. Although this was the first documented multiple vortex anticyclonic tornado of this kind. So you had storms that were spinning one way and you had tornadoes spinning another. All rotated all rotating around a central area of rotation. Which imagine how that has to happen to right. have to have things all spinning around the same way but then also not the same way all at the same time. Like if that didn't blow your mind. I don't know. I don't know what else will blow your mind. The amount of wind moving in this or air moving within this system is truly mind-boggling to me. Like you just said, you have a main area of rotation. You have your mesocyclone, right? You have several satellite tornadoes around that mesocyclone, and those are often, like we've said, stronger and maybe more intense than than the main rotation. And then you have stronger tornadoes that are satellite tornadoes that are now spinning up and having their own little multiple vortices tornadoes revolving around that. That I, I don't know where to start. And as a forecaster, how do you determine what's going to happen with that? I mean, that's like toilets on the equator, like spinning opposite directions at the same time or right. something, you know, it's, it's that kind of like how, how you know what I mean mm -hmm. like how do we explain that and so I mean I wish I was smart enough <laughs> to even fully comprehend it you know what I mean but I, I don't know I'm in a way I'm kind of glad El Reno happened because it's so crazy and it's so you know needle in a haystack type of event you know this type of thing is not going to happen all the time but the fact that it can and now that we have physical proof that it has, and now it can be researched and, you know, what ingredients lined up perfectly, what was happening to the west of El Reno that made that tiny little cell go from zero to 60 in 10 seconds is how it feels. Because it started out really small. They were watching it, but it was then like poof on the ground. Right. So just to put a bow on looking back at El Reno, you know, we know it's going to be widely studied. We know it's already been widely studied, but the raw data is still there. And, you know, I know students at OU and other universities are digging through this, trying to find out 
what were the reasons why this storm formed. And Bonnie, we might not ever know the reason why. And honestly, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I wish I could say the same. I'm definitely somebody who needs to know why Sure, (laughs) in every situation ever. But sometimes I have to learn to let it go, you know, and just accept it. And again, I'm the same way. I want to know. I ask a million questions. You know, that's part of the reason why I love science in general is I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And, you know, just because you say that something happened for this reason, I'm going to be like, okay, but I'm going to be the natural born skeptic that I am. And I'm going to keep asking questions because just because that's, that's a good way to be. It is. And I'm and again, this is not me trying to be, you know, somebody that's not believing what you're saying or any of that. This is me just trying to figure out, okay, why? And that's it. That's strictly that's strictly it. So, you know, you have a tornado that is on the ground, 2.3 miles wide, you know, damaged path, almost 40 miles long. It's intense. And it's going to happen again. Well, and I think the fascinating thing is why did something so not textbook produce something so so crazy you know what i mean right and and that is something i bet we'll never really truly fully understand i mean especially if no more events really happen like this except for once every whatever 20 30 however you know however many years you know without it happening frequently enough it'll just take a very long time to figure out what makes it happen right going back and looking at the radar loop and again i just have it based on what i'm seeing here on wikipedia and again, you can always go back and you can always do the Monday morning armchair quarterback thing. Well, oh my gosh, well, clearly we see this rotation in this here. Okay. In real time, you're never going to see that. Right. You're not going to be able to see until you have the ability to go back and look at the loop from the satellite and the radar, you know, post event. But there's some very interesting things on here. I mean, it looks like there's a huge center of circulation that's not even associated with the actual cloud. It looks like there is, it's obviously we know that the storm is going to form on the north side. The rotation's there. You're going to get the hook that's going to come down on the southwest side as it moves in general to the you know northeast. By the way, we didn't even talk about the movement of the storm. 99% of tornadoes move from the southwest to the northeast. That's just the general direction. We know that if an especially an intense storm can peel off of a line. We saw this in Texas earlier this year. And the storm can move due east. El Reno did a very giant U-shape where it yeah. started moving east, then it went to the southeast, and then it was moving to the east, then to the northeast. You could not outrun the storm. And the storm chasers have talked about it, the people that were on the ground that day. And at 2.3 miles wide, that's a large area. That's 10,000 plus feet of being within or near or under the mesocyclone that is rotating on the ground with multiple tornadoes associated with it. Exactly. And that's, that's why even experienced chasers got caught because it was like we've said a million times, it was not normal. It was not standard. It was not, it didn't fully behave how you would expect a tornado or a tornadic supercell to behave. And it, and it caught people and, I mean, it's understandable, but I mean, that's why, 
you know, if you're not super experienced, you don't always need to be out there doing it. Not that Tim Samaras wasn't, because obviously he is, but that just goes to show that even someone who's been doing it forever can get caught than so can someone who's never done it or only done it a few times. Right. And again, you can blame the type of vehicle they were in. You can say they died because they were in a Chevy Cobalt versus Mike Bettis living because he was in a Chevy Yukon or a Suburban. And obviously that doesn't have much to do with anything. Yes, the protection factor is a little bit different. I think the Suburban or Yukon's a little bit beefier than a small Chevy Cobalt, which is just your basic run-the-mill four-door sedan versus an SUV. But experienced chasers died that day because they were in the right place at the wrong time. Exactly. And because that storm moved so weird and wobbled so weirdly and didn't really move in a mostly straight line like they do most of the time, give or take. This, like you said, was a weird U. And out there in far western, you know, Canadian County, which is where El Reno and Yukon and stuff is, it there's a lot of dirt roads, a lot of country roads, a lot of roads that just stop and, and end at certain places, some that don't go all the way through like you think they do. And so that's another problem. And so especially if you don't live out there or chase out there frequently, um, you know, you, you could get stuck that way. And so that's always something to consider. And that's why I always say I don't chase by myself and that's why I don't really chase at all because all I have is myself because you you can't do everything you can't drive watch the storm watch the radar look at a map it's too much you got to have kind of a group of people to help you you know navigate so a lot of factors went into um, people losing their life that day it did it did so we look back on May 31st we look back on the El Reno tornado Eight years ago, like we said, it seems like yesterday. But, Bonnie, let's jump now forward to the present. And welcome to the 2021 Atlantic hurricane season kicking off officially yesterday. Woo, and nothing's happened. We've had one named storm, but that's it. Yep. We had Anna. She came and went. Uh, we let her go. That's the only bad joke I'm going to make about that name. So, you're welcome. Um, Anna came and went. Didn't really do much, affected portions of uh, Bermuda a little bit, and then got swept up and out to sea. Nothing is forecasted to occur in the next 48 hours in the Atlantic. However, the Pacific, who have been off and running for a hot minute, uh, we're already looking at Tropical Storm Blanca, and she is forecasted to move off to the west and eventually dissipate over the next few days. I love the name Blanca. That's great. That I love that. It is. It is a fantastic name. I'm a big fan of that. So that's us. Well, that's all that's happening for Tropics. Well, hopefully it starts to pick up. I mean, but like it we will. talk about every season, the end is better than the beginning. So what? One hundred percent. We enjoy the journey that we are going to experience in the 2021 Atlantic Hurricane season. But, Which, like we discussed last week, they did expect it to be um, active like last right, year, right? Above average, absolutely. So, we shall see. We shall see what happens. They nailed it last season, so I, I, you know, trust them. <laughs> One season and we're back on board. <laughs> right? That's just how fickle we are. <laughs> right? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. We're, we're, we're bandwagon forecasting fans. 
That's right. But you know what? Let's be real. We've always loved the NHC. It doesn't Absolutely. even matter if they're right, wrong, or in the middle. We have always been their cheerleader. We have been, and I'm a big fan of what uh, Ken Graham, their, de- their deputy director, is doing down there. And, uh, yeah, Ken Graham's not even there. No, he is. Yeah, Ken Graham's still there. Uh, the deputy director, Dr. Edward Rappaport, is retiring. So, yeah, Ken Graham. I'm pretty sure deputy director is a really great title. Right? It is good. Like it. I, I'm a big fan of that title. I like titles in general. I think right, sometimes, and I don't even have one. Right, I think except so, awesome, but I gave myself that title. Now you're your co-host of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. That's a title. I like it. I'll yeah. take that. That's good. Okay, I'm gonna good. put that on all my business cards. You should. You <laughs> and my should. email signatures. <laughs> I do, but that's a different story for a different day. Anyways, yes, we are big fans <laughs> of the National Hurricane Center. Uh, that is also on my weather bucket list places to see. By the way. The giant concrete what about fortress. The Storm Prediction Center. I've been there, so okay, I, I got I got to you. check that off. That was before I knew which, you, which is sad. But I'm telling you, that's one of the best things about the OU School of Meteorology is it's in that building, right? And it's just it's magic, right? Here's my question. So again, I understand you have to have you know key card access to get into certain places. But if you're a student at OU, how in the world are you not trying to get into the National Weather Service office or the SPC every day? Well, if you're a meteorology student, you have to be in there every day. So, and I mean, you could go in there at three o'clock in the morning if you wanted to and sit oh, yeah. homework. Oh yeah. And and I I did that a couple times. Um, not very often though, because when I was going to school, I was in my later twenties, so I was old and needed my sleep. But you could definitely go in there. And I mean, some floors and some parts of the floors, obviously, you can't just walk around. Right. You know, some offices are closed and whatever to you, but. It's still cool to be walking around with everybody and everybody's in that building. Everybody, it's, it's, you could just feel the love for weather in that whole building. It's true. It is true. When I was there on that Sunday afternoon a long time ago, uh, it was pretty epic. Not going to lie. Took a lot of pictures of nameplates on office doors. I was like, hey, I know this guy. And hey, I know this guy. Hey, I've read about this guy. Blah, 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 blah. So. And did you go up to the very, very top, the I observatory, did. and look out? Yep, I did. Looked off to the north to see Gaylord Memorial Stadium. That was pretty cool. Uh, looked off to the east and saw the Doppler radar. Went to the second observation deck where you guys had all the uh, brand new weather instruments, including all the uh, infrared stuff, the new anemometers. That was pretty legit to see that. That was pretty cool. Um, you could see the parking structure where they keep you know, the Doppler on wheels and all the research vehicles. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. And I saw the helium. You appreciate the flatness that you could see. You could basically see Texas from there. Oh yeah, you totally could. And since I just <laughs> driven up from Dallas that morning, I could already see. I could see all the way back to Arlington. Yeah, you were like, "Ooh, I can see some traffic over there." <laughs> <laughs> oh look, there's AT and T Stadium. <laughs> you really can't. We're uh, kidding, but right. But it, it's flat, though. You can see for a long ways. But it is the Earth curves. That's the problem. If it didn't curve, you would see Texas. That is true. You'd also see all the way to Mexico. Yeah. And points beyond. But hey, you know what you know what they say? The earth is flat. Yeah. Mm, all the smart people out there. <laughs> yep. It's totally flat. Mm. Interesting. Super flat. Mm. Where does all like the water Hank Hill's go? Butt. Where does all the water go? Just flows off the sides, never to be seen again. Yes. So does that mean that we have an unlimited amount of water? But my thing with that is those same people believe the rest of the planets are round. Yes, they do. (laughs) 
I, I oh, some, sometimes I just can't with people. Oh, it's just, it's, you know, we could go on and on, but suffice it to say, dumb people like that, I have very low tolerance for, but they're also amusing at the same time. That is true. Cheap entertainment, sometimes often the best. Right. So we digress. Speaking of the Storm Prediction Center, we are still under thunderstorm season, and Bonnie, Texas, again, has continued to get under your skin as they continue to get all of the good, severe weather. Yeah, you know, I'm really trying to not pout and be salty and stuff, but I really am. And, you know, last week's storms were actually really good. Um, That was a pretty legit fall line that moved interestingly because it basically just came straight south. Um, And I'll tell you, the days leading up to that, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, disgusting, humid, hot, nasty. I mean, it it was gross, gross. And then Friday, it was cold. So, I mean, that's why that that squall line popped up like that. It was just such a strong cold front coming into some nasty air. But the main thing that happened around us was flooding. And I'll tell you, I didn't even hear a lot of thunder. And, you know, that is really starting to bug me. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. Because I know how much you enjoy that. Thunder. <laughs> well, I just want some thunder. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about how the South, especially Dixie Alley, has really gotten hit, you know, pretty hard with tornadoes and severe weather already. And obviously portions of Texas, Oklahoma has. (laughs) Looking at the, so far, so, you know, we're halfway through the year. Every year, uh, or this is a running map, so it's constantly being, you know, added to. So the Storm Prediction Center does a tornado watch outline shape files um, and it's areas that are covered by 10 or more watches in a year will be solid red. So it's a ranking from zero to 10 and there are portions of Mississippi and Alabama that have seen, you know, above five or six tornado watches. Um, you start to get into Texas, Oklahoma, obviously right along the front range, getting up into portions of Colorado and Wyoming and Nebraska and South and North Dakota. But this map is eerily quiet. And I say that not knowing the full scope of the averages. But if I'm just looking at this, there's nothing west. There have been no tornado watches posted west of the Rocky Mountains. Really west of the Front Range. There have been no tornado watches issued for the states of Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware. Places where you do see tornadoes somewhat quite frequently, especially in, you know, late spring into early summer, midsummer, nothing yet. So to me, it looks really, really kind of quiet. And so far, there have only been a total of 89 tornado watches issued for the calendar season. The one that we had issued on Thursday for the Oklahoma City, I mean, it was for a lot of Oklahoma, but for the Oklahoma City metro area specifically, that was the first one we have had issued in two years to the day. Yep, 100%. And you can see that on the map, that it's very light pink. It makes no sense. Does that even, like, compute, like, oh, Oklahoma City and surrounding cities haven't seen a tornado watch in two years? What? Yeah, that's very strange. And I know there's, you know, we won't get into this now, the whole debate of do we need to remove Tornado Alley and shift it to the east? I don't know. There is a county, and I don't know what it is. 
Uh, I don't have an Oklahoma map ahead of me. The entire state of Oklahoma, sans one county, has seen at least one tornado watch this year. And it's up in the northeast corner above Tulsa, just sitting there, not in a watch. It's It feels left out. Oh, yeah, and I'm not sure what the name of that county is either. I'd have to pull it up, but... <laughs> That that's kind of normal too. Far sure. far northeast, sure. you know, they don't get a lot. And by the time stuff gets over to the east, you know, it's the whole um, line of storms kind of thing. I mean, right. Tulsa sees their fair share, but um, not like western and central Oklahoma does. Correct. So that's just something to point out that we are looking at. But Bonnie, you guys are in a marginal risk today for at least some severe weather. So <laughs> knock on wood, it's going to happen. All right. Um, I'm holding my breath hard, waiting right. for that to happen. Right. Well, we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. You guys have a couple of chances to see some storms. Uh, we don't have anything really that we're looking at where that screams, oh, my gosh, you know, let's, let's you know, initiate a chase forecast or whatever. Um, I will say this. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, there is a decent shot of tornadoes, by the way, 10% greater. Um Probability EF2 to EF5 on the East Coast uh, tomorrow. So portions of Virginia, Northern Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York um, are under this. And if you go back and look at the categorical, they're in a slight risk. So there's a chance that the East Coast could see a tornado tomorrow. So maybe they will issue a tornado watch and the East Coast can get in in on the action. But uh, central parts of the U.S. looks like it's going to calm down. Everything kind of shifts either through Texas and then up to the East Coast. There is a marginal risk for portions of eastern Oregon. Uh, tomorrow's Thursday, which means I'm off of work. I could technically go chasing tomorrow. But it's my last really? weekend at the bar, so I'm probably not going to. Just do it. Do it. I can't. I can't. I'll, I'll catch the next one. But day three, as we look into portions of Thursday and Friday, um, that marginal area shifts up to the north. Most of the state of Montana is under a marginal risk for severe weather. Um, most of it looks like it's going to be hail, but we'll see. So, And then days four through eight, predicted, uh, predictability too low. So we'll see. But, yeah, let's get, uh, let's get some big storms back in the plains because uh, I want some more David Payne TV coverage. Seriously, I need that. I need some tropical weather going on. I need some action. I need some spice in my life. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. The sunburn was not enough. No, but oh, man, so bad. <laughs> Lots of aloe. All right, what do you guys have coming up forecast-wise in Oklahoma City? Uh, not a whole lot, like you said. A little bit of chances, um, some storms, some rain throughout the week. Nothing really promising. Um, we are going to start warming back up, though, into the upper 70s, low 80s, so um, that'll be nice, kind of feel more summery around here. Hopefully a lot of humidity doesn't come with that, though. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Well, out here in the Pacific Northwest, we actually cranked up the heat yesterday. We had set a record high, and I want to say it was a... I'll have to pull it up now because I didn't look at it earlier, but eh, that's me. I don't care. Um, There it is, public information statement. Boom. All right. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so the running joke around here is that our Doppler radar is garbage, and I say that lovingly. Um, <laughs> but our Doppler radar is going to be out of service June third through the tenth for a major upgrade. 
Oh boy. Perfect. Yeah. Just in time for some possible storms. That's what you need. 100%. So we have the National Weather Service curse, part one, which is our radar is going to be down when we need it most. Two, when they issue a winter storm warning, it doesn't happen. And the third (laughs) weird meteorological outlier is Mark Nelson, the chief meteorologist at our Fox affiliate in town. Whenever he is off or goes on vacation, something happens. (laughs) That's funny. Yes. It is quite hilarious. So, all right, here's the record thing that I was looking for. So, high temperatures were set yesterday at several locations. A record high temperature of 95 was set at Portland. Breaks the old record of 94 from 1970. So, that was pretty awesome. Temperature of wow. 95 in Hillsborough also sets the record, breaks the record of 94 set in 1970. Apparently, it was really hot, and everybody hit 94 in 1970. Um, but 97 in Salem yesterday. The National Weather Service Portland office did not issue a heat advisory. And it was very interesting for the reasoning why. And they basically said because it's going to cool off quickly enough at night, we're not going to need it. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, why issue an advisory for like two hours or whatever? It does. And again, if it was a prolonged stretch of temperatures of multiple days above 95, I'm sure they would. And again, there's nothing worse, and you can attest to this, especially living in Oklahoma City. There's nothing worse than having a high of 95, dropping down to a low of 75, and there's nothing but misery in the air. Yeah, yeah. You have nothing to clean out the air or do anything, and yeah, you're just It's miserable. You have to have air conditioning. You just have to. Yeah. And I mean, that was one good thing about the heavy rain from last right. Thursday was it really did like clean out all that humidity, refresh the air. And like I said, it was actually cold the next morning uh, when I got up to let the dog out. I was like, well, this is actually kind of nice because it, like I said, it was gross the day before. So well, gotta love it. Right. Gotta love humidity. Anyway, so we're looking at sunny skies again today. We're going to get up to the lower 90s. Temperature drops off almost 10 degrees tomorrow. We stay actually really decent through the first part of the weekend. Temperatures will go from 92 to 80 by the time we get to Friday. Uh, and then we'll get a chance of showers, rain coming back in Sunday. Uh, and then it looks like we stay in that pattern for a while, uh, almost pretty much all week now. So we will see what happens uh, for the next seven days. But nice the next four days, back into the rain pattern. And we're already starting to get hints of warming back up as we get toward the middle of June, which would be pretty great. Because in the Pacific Northwest, it goes really nice for a week, rains for a week, really nice. And then July 5th, we're into summer. We don't see rain again until September. Wow. I feel you. We get that way in the summer. I mean, we have our little showers, but I mean, yeah, we're pretty much sweltering for like a solid two and a half, three months. It's lovely. And add the humidity to it. I'm sure your hair loves it. Oh, for me, my hair doesn't get big, but it does get all like gross and like greasy. <laughs> Got to wash it a little bit more frequently. But the funny thing is, though, our rain starts back up in September, just like yours. And the running joke is almost, almost every year, the first significant rain we start getting is when the state fair is in town, which is in September. Yep. And it's just, it's funny. Cause, and that's been the joke since I was a little tiny kid was, oh, it's raining. The fair must be here. Like that's, you know. One of those classic phrases from Oklahoma. Oh, right. My name must be the fair. <laughs> so out in Portland, we have a thing called the Portland Rose Festival. It's a world-renowned festival that celebrates, ready, roses. Oh, you, I would have never guessed. 
Yeah, right. We're the Rose City. We have the Rose Festival. Hmm. We celebrate clams. Anyways, um, <laughs> the joke is that we have the Rose Festival low. Same thing. Either, you know, drizzly mornings and then sun burns off the marine layer that comes in off the coast, makes its way through the gaps and down the Columbia River. Uh, and so that's always there. And years past, they've always been like, hey, Oregon AMS, do you have somebody that we can pay to sit out on the waterfront for a few hours with a rain gauge to make sure that we don't lose money? Absolutely. By the way, talk about a cush gig. If you can be a weather spotter and be an official, like, weather recorder, you can make a lot of money. And insurance, and insurance companies hire these people because you obviously, you know, if you throw a festival or a fair, you want to ensure that people are going to be there. You're going to be able to make money. Well, if the rain is crappy, sometimes you buy an insurance policy that says, hey, you know, if we get washed out, we're still going to make money. So on the back end of the insurance policy, you need a weather observer that can be on site to record temperature, wind, and rain. So if you can find those gigs, they pay relatively well. Well, dang, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for that. Yes, you should. Or become a legal weather expert, and that's also cool because then you get to go to court and testify about things with the weather. Oh, that's cool. A lot and, of pressure, but that's cool. Yes, but you can also make a lot of money there, too. Hmm. Yes. Forensic meteorologists. Pretty legit. Make a note of all these weather career possibilities here. You should. <laughs> you should. Let's go make all the dollars. Well, another yeah. fantastic edition of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie, Oklahoma. And we will talk to you guys in a few days. Bye.